Welcome, everybody. Welcome back for the second edition of Mavs Sports Take with myself, Ryan Roberts, at Rise and Draft, Mr. David Turner, at Mav underscore sports, bringing you the hot topics in the football world, in the sports world in general. We're going to talk NFL Draft, college football, NFL. We're going to touch on all bases, obviously, with it being such a crazy world. Still, there's plenty of things to talk about, trying to understand, and we're not going to fluff it up for you guys, okay? We are going to give you the hard truth. We are here to educate. We are here to give you what we actually think, right? We, I feel like we watch SportsCenter every day where they just talk about the same things over and over again, regurgitating information. We are here to give you what you need to know. So, David, bringing you back, man, inviting you in. How we doing, my friend? Hey, I'm glad to be back. Week two, baby. Episode two of Mav Sports Takes. Here we go. Tonight, we do have a special guest coming on. James Kirkland, Director of Player Personnel for The Fighting Illini. He'll be on to talk about college scouting. He'll be on to talk about a little high school recruiting. He'll be on to give us share, share some light on all that information. You know, and I'm just I'm super excited. I mean, obviously, we got some big news to talk about at the top of the show before we bring James on. But once we bring him on, it's going to be really a, a jam packed episode full of a lot of information. Yeah, and I, I'm, I am absolutely pumped to get James on here, obviously, to talk about the college football world. Obviously, the repercussions with everything happening with the recruiting side of everything as well. It's going to be an interesting conversation before we get started here. We are live here on Twitter. It is 9 Eastern time, Wednesday night. If you guys ever want to join us, that is when we're going to be live every single week, 9 Eastern. It's going to be uh, streaming on my page, which is at Rise and Draft. So make sure to check out the lives every week. A part of these segments, we're going to do a weekly mailbag at the end where we answer some of your questions. Uh, Try to get that up a day or two beforehand. So any topic at all, from the state of the NFL, state of college football, NFL draft, the sports world in general, the business side of the of the NFL, of anything really. We're here to talk ball and we're here to talk about the real life situation of everything happening. So mailbag segment at the end, we got Mr. James Kirkland coming on. Before David, we need to talk about the big topic that we want to touch on, which has nothing, to, well, I don't want to say any, nothing to do with the NFL, but obviously our, our friends up north, we know a lot of guys obviously that are involved. You yourself was involved in the CFL as well, right? The Canadian Football League. So cancellations, which means obviously no football in Canada. But how is that affecting everybody, right? Less jobs for everybody. Players are now looking for work. Front office executives, coaches out of work now. It's it's going to have a lot of repercussions to the the entire you know, system of football up north. So just general thoughts here starting out. What is the impact of this league shutting down and maybe how it's going to maybe some uh, some ripple effects to the NFL game? Well, I think you're going to see some ripple effects, not so much, say, to the NFL game, because the NFL game has such a huge uh, reservoir of uh, players that are waiting to get into and uh, play in the NFL. But I think the ripple effect is, is really going to be felt up north for years to come. You know, as the player personnel director for the Edmonton football team prior to this COVID um, hitting, I can tell you that it was hard to convince players to come up and play in Canada as is. And also a lot of the Canadian players to there's a ratio up north that you have to have X amount of Canadian players in order to line up. You have to have seven starters and like 21 of the 46 players have to be Canadian. A lot of them are often older players and they're hanging on, enjoying playing. But now that they're going to have to sit out a year, how many of those older players are going to want to get back into football shape next year? How many of them are going to want to contribute uh, next year? On a, and then what will that do to the ratio if they don't have enough players, uh, Canadian players, to fill the ratio? Uh, the ripple effects are also going to be felt <clears throat> with the, the players down here who were training and getting ready to go up north. And again, you're not getting as much money as the NFL. So now you're going to have to sit out a year and you're not making as much money. And when you come back, are you know, will it's going to be like probably into like next May before they can get up and running again. So that you're going to wait till next May to get a paycheck, almost 10 months. I don't know how many of the existing players here 
in uh, America will want to wait to then go back up there and play again. And if you look just today, Scott Milinovich, the head coach of the Edmonton team, had a, a little article. I shouldn't call it little. Actually, I should call it a pretty significant article talking about he worries about the health of the community wanting to support a football team in Edmonton post-COVID. So, you know, we're, we're talking where a league was last year where Montreal didn't have an ownership at all for the entire year. So the league had to support Montreal the entire time. And now you have BC Lions are up for sale. And a lot of teams lost money last year. They weren't making a lot of money. And now you're looking at a, a year off when they're going to make zero money. Um, some of the teams have asked for furloughs. Some of the teams have asked people to take pay pay cuts. Uh, I, I imagine more furloughs are coming after this decision. So what kind of staff are you going to have to now revamp uh, rosters and revamp the, the league next year? It's uh, coach, um, all the coaches and the commissioner and the GMs and the presidents of the league are going to have quite a re restructuring plan. They're going to have to launch pretty early if they want to hope to bring this league back next year. And we were less than five minutes into this recording, and I already figured out that I made a mistake. It is Tuesday nights. We record live on Tuesday nights on Twitter, so check out that. It comes out on the following Wednesday, so look out for the, for the finished podcast tomorrow night. My apologies on that. David, one other thing that I want to bring up that I think might be an interesting conversation, I don't even know if it has a direct effect. So obviously the XFL now is throwing their hat, their hat into the ring, right, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson purchasing – I don't really know what the timetable is on that coming to fruition, coming into the, the national media, but is that a direct, um, a, I don't want to say a, a father, a direct, is it a troubling situation also for the CFL now to compete with another league, or do you think that that competition doesn't even really matter? Well, I think the CFL and the XFL were a natural competitor. Like last year when we went to camp, the XFL had started, and so we were fielding teams around XFL team um, rosters as well. The one thing the CFL had was that it had never missed a season. That was something we could always tell in recruiting is you're going to get paid. We've never missed a season. This is the first grade cup in over a hundred years that will not be assigned to a, a championship team. I mean, the Canadian football league has been around longer than the NFL. So the CFL's older than the NFL. You got to understand like this, that was a long track record that we could hang our hats on in recruiting where these spring leagues come and go and they're often fold up and players are left without money and ways to figure out what's next. The CFL always finished. That was the thing that we could re all we recruit. If you're, if we're giving you a contract and you make the team, we're going to finish now with the XFL coming, like you said, with, with the conglomerate of Dwayne and Danny and, and the financial group that they are tied into, you know, if they have enough hedge fund money that gets invested into the XFL and it's solid and they get these TV contracts that the rock is hinting at getting, well, now you'll have a situation where you got a legitimate competitor for everybody not wanting to go North of the border because you don't have to deal with exchange rates. You don't have to deal with Canadian, um, taxes and everything on your wages and again we're seeing that the oh, the um canadian government you know is asking the uh, cfl to open their books wide so they can do a deep dive into each team and understand how much money they're going to have to invest all the way through to get the uh league sustained because they want the league they see that there's value to the league but they want to do it in a way that they really have a open book situation to them so you know, for the XFL, is the right marketing could keep some players from going up to the CFL. And it'll be interesting how the CFL works the contracts. Today, there was a rookie of the year linebacker from Calgary saying he's going to get some NFL interest, but he has a two-year deal. And so you have to get them to release you from your deal in order for you to be able to try out for NFL teams. And that that that's a word they got to come down and say they're willing to do. So and then the the players that were just free agents, are they gonna and they were signed a one year deal? Are they still under those deals, or are they not under those deals and are now considered free agents again? And are players that were destined to be free agents next year because this 
this season got canceled and none, no mistakes or problems of their own, do they now become free agents again next year? Do you have a huge free agent frenzy? What's the salary cap going to look like? Like, you know, all this where Dwayne and, and Danny and the XFL, they can put this together again, if they have the right financial vacuum and put it out and it will draw a lot of attention. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to dig a little deeper in here, but before I do, I want to thank everybody that is tuning in live with us and everybody that took an opportunity to listen to our first episode last week. If you like what you're hearing here, please join us every Friday at Friday Night Scout School, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, where we are teaching agents, coaches, players, and fans how to see football through the lens of a scout from the scout's perspective. This week, we're going to dive into some coverages this Friday, but next week after that, we're also going to be diving into linebackers, bringing down some guys like Tremaine Edmonds, Miles Jack, K.J. Wright, and others coming out of college. So if you want to sign up for that pass, we have a season pass, or you can buy a la carte these individual scouting sessions. Everything is at NFLDraftBible.com. Be sure to register for those now. We are diving in, and it's been an absolute wonder the last few weeks. Now I'm introducing, and we got him coming in right now. As we spoke in the beginning, Mr. James Kirkland, longtime NFL scout for the Atlanta Falcons, Cleveland Browns, Chicago Bears, and Tennessee Titans. Currently, James works as the director of pro personnel for the Fighting Illini football team. James, appreciate you coming in here, man. Really do. Appreciate y'all having me on tonight. What y'all got going over there? Good to see you, man. Man, my man Dave. Well, it's been a minute. How you doing? <laughs> oh, everybody's good, man. Everybody's good. It's good to see that smile on your face, man. Yeah, man. All is good, man. You know, I'm in Atlanta. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just been doing tackle football all day. So, you know, that's where, that's my wheelhouse. Yeah, I like to get you out of your wheelhouse and talking a little bit about it over here on the on the podcast. Let's do it. Let's get it on. Hit him, Ryan. All right, well, James, man, we, we appreciate – you know, obviously, you coming on Mav Sports Take, the second episode. I know when David was telling me that he was going to have you on, man, I was excited because I need some college football in my life. So needed to talk some ball here, man. And starting out with COVID, everything that's just affecting everybody so rough, you know, obviously with the Big Ten being shut down and the recruiting side of everything, how difficult has COVID been and how have you guys been able to manage and, and try to uh, navigate this offseason the best of your abilities so far? Um, I would say, I don't know. I don't know if I would say it was difficult. I would say more than anything, it was just different. So, you know, obviously you want to use the spring to evaluate as much as you can, get the coaches out, let them see as many players as they can. Well, we couldn't do that this year. We couldn't have kids in. So it, it was a little bit more difficult to get the information that we kind of needed in order to make decisions the way we normally make them. So what we had to do was, you know, move into the virtual world. So we were able to do more of that with the virtual visits, all of that kind of good stuff. And also um, there are more services now that actually offer the, um, the uh, measurables that you want. So a lot of the issues at this level is getting accurate measurables. Like it's like every kid that comes to a game, they're like three inches shorter than what, what their profile is online so you know um i happen to work for you know levy smith who is very similar to um al davis who, who dave worked for so he wants measurables 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 count so um but we were able to figure it out and we've had a pretty good recruiting season i'd say thus far and so now what we've got to do is we've got to change gears normally it's fall and tackle football right now but we're going to switch gears and we're going to go straight recruiting. It's 2022 and go hard at evaluating. So that's and the deal James, right now. And James, I'll say I, I am so excited just about obviously the culture love he's bringing. I'll tell you when I was growing up, I, I, I still am a Rams fan. So like I remember Lovey Smith as the defensive coordinator for the St. Louis Rams, winning the Super Bowl, doing all types of great things. Talk to me about that culture, though, because I know Lovey is like a passionate football guy. What's it like just being around him on a daily basis and working under him? Well, you know, um, I also had the pleasure of working for Romeo Cornell. And one thing I would say Romeo Cornell and Lovey Smith have in common are that they are the same guy every day. They are genuine, authentic football men. 
Um, I've worked for people that, you know, maybe, you know, kind of work like dictators and all that kind of stuff. But Coach Smith really isn't like that. What he, 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 wants, he wants everybody to understand this is your lane, work in your lane, that's your role, and that's how you can help us be better, okay? At the same time, he puts you in a position that allows you to grow. Um, when I got to Illinois, I, I didn't have experience as a, you know, college director of player personnel. But, you know, all along the way, he's kind of groomed me and guided me. And, you know, when I, when I, when I stepped in some, some potholes, you know, instead of beating me over the head with it, you know, he said, hey, you know, he would encourage me and help me to make the better decision the next time. So, you know, what he what he brings is a steady presence. Um, and I always say that, that he's a benevolent, a benevolent disciplinarian. OK, now there are things you have to do to be a good tackle football team. That's that's plain. OK, so those things. He's going to enforce those things. But at the same time, he's not inhumane. He's not the type of dude that berates people. He is an excellent, excellent man. He's a great example for the young men we bring into our program. So it's been an honor, man, working for him, to be honest with you. So, Hey, James, we, we just got done doing uh, Friday Night Scout School the last couple of weeks, and we were talking um, a, in, a defensive lineman. We started with the interior guys. And then this rookie up here likes to use his word edge rushers, but he calls them edge players. I had to school him on what a 43 end looks like and a 34 outside linebacker looks like because that's how we classify. That's how we classify and we don't call them edge players, right? Different. They're different. (laughs) They're different. I promise you. But, you know, but you know what I think? I think as scouts, man, that's what we do. We kind of. You know, we're gonna we're gonna bust it all the way down to the lowest common denominator. And that's that's the way it goes. You can't just say he's an edge player. Because if you say that, it's gonna be, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, and every defense has, you know, different skill sets for every position. Scheme. Scheme fit, right? You gotta have the scheme fit. Everything, everything is fit. Everything. So Romeo Cornell, Lovey Smith, the fits for those defenses are completely different. Give me a little of that. Give me a comparison real quick. Give me a little comparison. Well, it's simple, right? I mean, I mean, you know, Romeo Cornell is Bill Parcells, Bill Pelichick, big body, three, four defense. Build the wall, set the edge, right? That's what they do. Everybody's two gapping. Boom, 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 boom. So those are bigger bodies, longer arms, more physical players. They're not necessarily all that sexy when you really bust it down. They're not super sexy, but they're super effective. Now, on the other end, with Lovey, like it's speed, athleticism, disruption, bend, right? So the players up front are normally going to – they might be a little bit smaller, but – the whole purpose of them being smaller is they've got to be faster, quicker, more athletic than your average offensive lineman in order to disrupt. So now if you get a big one that can do that, then you got something special. So that's that's Julius Peppers. Um, that's um, – what's the guy's name? He was at uh, – he was at St. Louis. Little. Leonard Little. Little. Leonard Little. Those guys, you know, those are – you know, Julius Peppers, Lenny Little, those guys are like purple unicorns. You know, they're not just unicorns, they're purple unicorns, you know, because they're they're rare people. It's not those, it's not that many people like that on the earth. So you get guys like that that can actually move, bend, and run the way coach likes them to run. And now whew, you got something real. I mean, Erlacher was like that. You know, a six four Mike Backer that can run four four and clog passing lanes like he did and runs sideline to sideline, again, purple unicorn. Yeah. yeah. That, that brings me back, man. I, I mean, the Leonard Little uh, mention there, I'm thinking about Grant Winstrom right now, Kevin Carter when they won the Super Bowl, those incredible defensive ends, man. They're bringing me back. James, I know obviously you spent a long time in the NFL scouting world, 
so, and you mentioned a little bit of that transition where Lovey has been, you know, just exceptional to you, you know, as you've made that transition. What's the biggest, biggest, um, I, I don't want to say, well, let's go biggest difference from being on that scouting trail to now being in the, the personnel director that you are now. Okay, very simple. Okay. In the NFL, you're taught, and Dave will tell you this, coaches coach and scouts scout. Well, in college, the coaches are the scouts. So it's a very different deal. So as I said earlier, now, scouts, you know, you're going to, you want to find out everything. How does he play? What kind of person is he? What's his family background? What kind of, how is he with his teammates? Um, you know, how does he treat the lunch lady, <laughs> you know, in the cafeteria on campus? Like you want to find out everything about the guy and you kind of put that in your pot and stir it up. And now you've got a, you know, you get a panoramic, a panoramic view of the player, right? Well, it's, it's not quite that clean in college. Everything moves a lot faster and everything is lumped in the recruiting. Recruiting is building relationships with kids parents, um, coaching staffs, that's, that's the recruiting piece. It's about relationship building. Well, there's also a player personnel piece, right? So what Dave said earlier is it's about fits. Well, you can recruit until your head falls off, but if they don't fit, you just wasting reps. So a lot of, a lot of, what you have to adjust to at this level is like not knowing enough about the player before you get down the road of recruiting them because everything happens so quickly, right? So, okay, this dude's in seventh grade and he's got power five offers. We need to offer him to get in the conversation. Yeah. You know, I struggled with that concept from the very beginning and Honestly, you know, the best thing about the fact that I struggled with it was the fact that Coach Smith struggled with it too, right? So he's like, well, look, why are we offering this dude? He's 12, and, you know, and he doesn't know. We don't know what he is at this point. He may be a very different animal by the time he's, you know, in the 11th grade. So it's a constant – it's a constant – um grind of trying to find out as much information as you possibly can about a player before you get down the road with them. And at this level, it's not always available. There, there aren't combines and these kids are growing. I mean, what do you say about a 15 year old kid that ran four nine last summer, but then he pops up a year later and now he's running four six and he's two inches taller. Yeah, your eval might have changed a little bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he had that time to percolate and get and get a little bigger, and 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 now he's been. And by the way, Ryan, this is the man who gave me the term. He's not ready. He's not instant coffee. He needs to percolate a little bit. That that's his term that I have stolen from him because I love it so much. Hey, James, let me ask you this question: If I'm a recruiting kid, if I want to come to Illinois right now. And I, I need to grab your attention. And I'm going to make a file. I'm going to make a recruiting tape. I'm going to help you get to know me better. What should be, what give the kids right now and the parents right now, what should be in that file to be prepared for, you know, when they hand it to a recruiter like yourself and say, hey, this is my son. He wants to come to your school. This is the file. What is, what should be in that file? Um, That's a tough question. Um, because um, the things that you want to know are going to be uh, obviously the academics. Can he fit in our university community and can he handle the academic rigor of our campus, right? Illinois is not, it's not, you know, big state U. It's, it's really an academic school. So the academic piece is critical. Uh, the next thing is like, what's the makeup of the family? How did he grow up? How many siblings does he have? Um, how many schools has he been to? You'll be surprised, man. A lot of these kids in high school are, they're ending up in three and four high schools. What's that about? Um, so it's more of the personal things. Now, 
The other piece, like I said before, the measurables, the measurables, the measurables. Don't give me a sheet and tell me the kid is 6'1", and I walk up on him, and he's 5'9". You know, now, you know, like, like, just look, just lay it out the way it is. We're not, look, one thing about Coach, he's not against a kid that's 5'9". If he's 5'9", and he can run, run it. But now if he's 5'9", and he runs 5'9", you know, it could could be problematic. (laughs) You know what I mean? So all all you really want is you want, obviously you want to know who the kid is, how he grew up family-wise. Has he had any trouble? If he's had trouble, just be forthright about it. You know, again, these kids are growing. Thirteen to sixteen years old is where we're catching them, right? So, put that stuff in there. Be forthright about it, and then the measurables. Don't, 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 don't insult our intelligence. Hey, I, I'm gonna say this: If you went back to my Del Sal profile, I was five six, baby, and there ain't I never seen five six in my life. But in my profile, I was five six. But that's the thing. So check it out. So we actually we took a kid that was about that height. And I mean, because he was a he's a good football player and he fit the profile. So it works. So I mean, you know, tackle football players come in all shapes and sizes. You are your skill set. And if you've got a skill set and we can find a way to fit it, you know, on either side of the ball or on special teams, hey, let's do it. We're looking for good tackle football players. They come from all over the place. <laughs> I love it. I, I, w- I wasn't quite as egregious as David. I was about 5'11", 200 as a senior, and I was 6'1", 225 on the roster, you know? Not, nothing too crazy. So. But see, but see that, that's right. So that's the, you know, if you give me, you know, most profiles, whatever is listed, take at least an inch off. We take an inch off right now, but it's getting to where, yeah, maybe we need to move to two. <laughs> He's six three now, six one, six one in the eighth. Yeah. <laughs> James, as we're getting closer to the end of our time with you, man, I need to ask because I know you have a you know, you've known David for a little while now. Tell me about the first experience, the first moment you met him, and if it's an embarrassing story, I want to hear it. Oh man, the first time I met Dave. I know this one. Oh man. I I don't know if I'm going to do the first one, but I know which one I am going to do. We just talked about this the other day. Look, man, I met Dave in, in Sacramento, right? He came out. I was living in Sacramento at the time. He was in the Bay. But for whatever reason, he was coming up to Sacramento. So it's like, man, let's, you know, let's just meet up, do a little something. It was early. Well, it was probably nine, you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. We yeah. met up at this little spot. We had breakfast. And we're just chopping it up. And, you know, they cleaned up the food, you know. It was good. Next thing you know, it's like, you know, it's about time for lunch. Uh, could, you, could you bring us a lunch menu? <laughs> we sat there. We had lunch. Had, had a, threw a couple back. You know, we're having a good time. Next thing you know, uh, you know, why don't you uh, bring the dinner menu, if you don't mind? <laughs> we sat there all day. And just talk ball and talk life. Like, for whatever reason, me and Dave always had a solid connection from the very, very beginning. And, um, you know, I think I think it's, you know, when you meet real tackle football people that really dig in it, that curiosity and the things that, that they wonder about and have learned – um, about tackle football from studying it, it just it just falls off of him. It just it's in him. It's not on him, and so it's in him. It ain't on him. And um, me and him have always had a good connection because of that. You know what I mean? And he's a genuinely good dude. <laughs> genuinely good dude. He was in Arizona, and I was coming through Arizona. Hey, I got to call my man Dave. Let's let's link up. Let's go get something to eat. We can't stay yeah. all day this time, but, you know. <laughs> you know, but I, you know, James, like I said, he come around, we take the family, we take him to dinner. It wouldn't just be me. The family take the James dinner. dinner. Absolutely. And, Go sit and, at the house and marinate. Exactly. So I'm sitting at the house and hang out. Yeah. It's my guy, man. 
It's my guy. So yeah. you know. I do appreciate you coming on, James. I really do. The second episode ever. You're, you're our first guest ever. You're the answer to a trivia question now because you're the first guest ever on Math Sports Take. And, you, and uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll definitely circle back with you and we'll have you on again. And uh, I owe you one for coming on and, and honestly talking through what's really going on in the landscape right now with COVID and how it's affecting the young men that are trying to play college football and trying to get to play college football. So thank you for shedding the light on that a little bit. Hey, it was an honor and a pleasure. Anytime, man. Anytime. Just hit me up. I'm game. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate it so much. Like David said, you're part of trivia now. Years from now, they're like, who's the first – Who's the first person to come on Mavs Sports Day? Who's the first interview ever? James Kirkland. There it is. James, appreciate it so much, man. We really do appreciate it. Indeed. Y'all be easy. Later All right, on. big time. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you later. Later. <laughs> and there we have it, Mr. James Kirkland, Director of Pro Personnel at the University of Illinois. Awesome conversation, David. That's a good person to uh, have as the first guest, man, I would say. I'll tell you, he was kind because the very first time James ever met me, I was at my very first college football game scouting for the Raiders. I came over from the Giants. All I had done is pro scouting, so all I knew was how to do the pro stuff. I'm wandering around San Jose State trying to figure out how to do a school call. He goes, hey, man, you look like you're lost. And I go, yeah. And he sees the Raiders shirt and he goes, come on, let me show you. And he took me around. Showed me how to answer the questions, who to talk to, everything. I mean, that man, like I tell you that when it comes to first with him and I, we're often together. And we wound up in the, when I moved back into the pro office at the Raiders, he was at the pro office in Cleveland and then he went to Chicago. So this is a man that's not only like helped mentor me and be a friend and a, and a colleague through it all. But he's obviously taught me a lot of ball. And like he said, we, we had an all-day conversation. And people in the restaurant were like, what the hell are these two guys doing? And we was just talking ball all day. It was just talking ball all day. Yeah, and we'll definitely have to get James back on sometime soon, especially with everything. I'm, you know, hopefully everything gets back a little bit of normalcy soon. But here at Maverick Sports Consulting, we're all – helping you maximize your effort in life. Check out maverick.sportsconsulting.com to find a service for you today. David, which service do you do you uh, actually sorry, David, uh, messing up the the, uh, the 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 plugs here a little bit. David, if there's a service that you would recommend relevant for today's world, what do you feel is the service that you provide that is most appropriate for today? At Mavericks, I think what really fits into this conversation that we're having tonight is the unbiased scouting reports that we can put together for the uh, players coming out of college right now. If they're thinking about coming out early or foregoing their senior year, if they're thinking that they want an unbiased opinion, they can ask Mavericks to do it. We do those scouting reports for them. If they're an agent right now that is um, trying to recruit a player and needs a scouting report done on a player, they can ask us and we'll do it. We have two levels of scouting reports. One's just evaluating this film, writing up skill set, and sending it back to them. And then we also do a deep dive, as you heard James talk about. We will interview the player. We will get to know his injuries. We will get to know all about his family. And we will write up a full detailed report on the player all the way through, like I would do at an NFL level or a CFL level, a director-style report to help them out. I think those are the service lines that are most relevant to today's world with so many players wanting opportunities, looking for opportunities. So many agents are asked to be, are being asked to be, you know, start supplementing incomes and stuff earlier than they would in the past. Is it really someone that they're going to recuperate that income from all that kind of stuff is the one service line I would spotlight tonight to say, come take advantage of it. And there are, we have 13 service lines, obviously, on our website. Check them out. Feel free to peruse and ask questions. That's what we're here for. Yep, asking questions and educating. Like we said, we've said this for many weeks, many months now. It's an uncertain world. So please make sure that you put the right people around you to best educate yourself and make the best decisions possible moving forward. Moving in to the mailbag section of tonight. As every week is the same, we want to talk a little bit about some of the questions that we have. 
Before we get to the first one, though, David, we were talking about the CFL getting shut down, the effects that it could potentially have on a bunch of different people. I wanted to talk about one different angle before we get into the mailbag, and that is Mm -hmm. the developmental side of everything, right? We have seen some players potentially come from the CFL, play in the NFL. Some people use it as a springboard. Obviously, that is not everybody. We talk about the ratio um, system there, obviously, with, with percentage of American players being able to play and So some people use that as a potential springboard. How does that affect everything now that there is no ability to get that film this this fall if you don't have the opportunity to play in the NFL or potentially play overseas? Well, here's the big – the film is the key because if a scout and a coach or somebody doesn't have film to break down, how can we make an opinion on – are you in condition to play the game? Do you have the skill set to play the game? Are you a fit? As we heard James talk about and me continually talk about and we talk about on Friday Night Scout School all the time is who fits a scheme. Without film, we can't tell you who fits a scheme. We, we can't tell you how a player breaks down or how he's developed. Again, like James was saying, you know, it's a bigger jump for him in college with a 13, 15, 16-year-old kid and you know, maybe someone hitting a growth spurt later in life. Well, in the pros, you might have a guy who needed to show that he's healthy. He's recovered from an injury, Um, like a Javon Santos Knox that we had up in Edmonton. He had a foot injury, and now he needs to prove that he's healthy and can play. This season was going to be his season he could play and show the NFL teams he could do it. It's not there. Look at players that were signed out of the CFL just last year. You know, I think the Raiders signed like four players that came out of the CFL last year to contracts. Um, and now those guys are at camp getting their opportunity. So it does happen. Again, it's not like every player or anything, but I want to say 12 or 13 players last year out of the CFL got signed to NFL contracts and they're in training camps. Um, so again, there is the developmental. We, as the NFL, does not pay for R&D because their R&D is the NC2A. You're seeing the development of players. Players are losing. Let me just put it this way. Players are losing because they don't have the avenues to develop. Canada was one avenue. XFL last year. AAF was it. I was in a league called the UFL. That was that. We, you know, until the NFL really makes a, a solidified effort to invest in a league uh, to develop and pay for some, you know, research and development. I just don't know if their avenues post college are really going to be there for these young men. And it's a shame because you have guys like Kurt Warner who were undrafted, went to NFL Europe, went to the Arena League, and then went back up. I mean, again, when I was in the Arena League with the Arizona Rattlers, we had guys like Michael Huey, Derek Dennis, Sir Vincent Rogers. Now, Derek Dennis and Sir Vincent Rogers are two of the best tackles in the CFL. Um, And they started at the Arizona Rattlers. That was their start. So, you know, there's just not enough leagues that can support the supply. And it's a shame because some of the great stories that I've ever been around were some of the developmental guys that really worked hard and didn't have everything given to them. And they fought to stay on the team just an extra year, just an extra game. And that, that hunger is what we all fell in love with with those players. So, you know, as far as development, I think we're losing a year, maybe even two years of development with what's going on with the COVID. Yeah, and you mentioned a guy like Kurt Warner, right? Like, he was one of my favorite players growing up. My dad's a Dolphins fan. He was a huge Cameron Wake fan. I know he was tearing it up, obviously, up north before his incredible career. So, obviously, the less opportunity, I feel like we keep just, you know, hammering that concept, but, like, the amount of opportunity that has been cut from a lot of people this draft cycle, now into this this summer, now into fall, it's it's tough. We talked a little bit last week, obviously, about um, opening up some uh, tryouts for different teams and all that type of stuff in, in certain parameters. So some things are improving. Obviously, there's many more hurdles to get over. Moving into the mailbag, and like I said, at Rise and Draft, every week there's going to be a post that you can throw a, a mailbag question in here anything sports world related well i mean i'll even talk anything other than sports but you know nfl college football nfl draft business business side yeah let's talk the business of football team building 
I mean, right. all that stuff's wide open for everybody to talk about. I mean, we're here to give you a peek behind the curtain, guys. Don't just say, where do you think this player is going to play? You can hit ESPN, okay? They'll tell you about that. You really want to know what's going on? You want to know behind the curtain? Spend some time thinking about a question you've always wanted to learn and ask it because that's what we'll do right here, right now. And, and you're and you're talking to somebody with 18 years of scouting experience on the professional level. He has seen a lot of things. He has seen, he has a lot of experiences that he can relay and he can he can dive off of. And obviously, a part of the Friday Night Scout School series, we're also going to be diving into roster management at some points too near the end. So we're covering football from all different avenues. So don't ask just opinion on players. We want every type of question in in the mailbag each week. Go into the mailbag, though, and I know when I first met David Turner, it was on a draft show where we did, went live every day on the NFL Draft Bible Draft Show, right? So first question we have, which rookie wide receiver has the biggest impact on his team in 2020? Obviously, the guys we saw go early, we had Henry Ruggs go to the Oakland Raiders, our Las Vegas Raiders, sorry, that's never going to not it's, be weird for it's me. Gonna, it's weird for me, too. Trust me. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. You being in the building for so long, it has to be crazy. We uh, So we got the Las Vegas Raiders with Henry Ruggs was the was the first wide receiver off the board. Then we got Jerry Judy to the Denver Broncos, C.D. Lamb to the Dallas Cowboys, Justin Jefferson to the Vikings, and then we got uh, Jalen Rieger to the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'll start this one with you, David. I'll let you get some feedback. I live right over the, the uh, bridge from Philly, and I'll tell you what, man, the Eagles wide receiver core last season was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. Alshon was hurt. Uh, the rookie they had, Ar- Arthega Whiteside, was not too great as a rookie. They ended up having pretty much their most consistent receiver. Uh, Nelson Aguilar was nowhere to be found. Their most consistent receiver was former H- University of Houston quarterback Greg Ward at some point. So they needed upgrading. I thought i mean i was i was good with the regular pick because i think that the, what they really needed was an influx of athleticism and speed to that wide receiver core i they did everything was just so condensed they had nobody that could really take advantage of spacing could could make advantageous throwing windows nobody that can push the top on the defense nobody that could take the top off nothing so jalen rager would be my pick because i think that the philadelphia eagles need him right now the most of any of those other wide receivers. Because we talk about Henry Ruggs. They're, they have the great tight end, Darren Waller, who had over 1,000 yards last year. They have a couple other rookies coming in with him as well. I don't know if he's going to be a high-volume pass catcher the first year. Jerry Judy's with um, Cortland Sutton and K.J. Hamler getting picked. So that's a pretty damn good wide receiver room. And then we have, of course, C.D. Lamb. Potentially could be the third wide receiver, as scary as that sounds, with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. So... I think Rager is going to be dependent upon the most. And for the Eagles' sake, they're going to need him the most, potentially. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I hear you on that one. I think as an entity, a single entity type player, you're 100% right on your pick. I think, though, the biggest numbers might be Lamb in Dallas because I've watched how Mike McCartney's offense has always worked in, in Green Bay. He spreads the ball out. You're talking to a guy who loves to target multiple players all over the place. And with Cooper, Gallup, and and Lamb, you're going to have a triple-headed monster there that really, I mean, that will have a lot of weapons around him now. But again, if you go back to those days where Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre were in Mike's system, you know, you often saw at halftime nine different receivers being targeted, seven of them having catches, you know, and and running backs being mixed in and everything else. So, you know, having those three guys there, I think Lamb, you know, again, like you said, could be the third receiver, but he might wind up with the gaudiest numbers because the other two will draw some attention, especially early. And then Lamb can uh, really, I mean, his skill set is amazing. So, yeah. So I need to throw out a shout out. I need to to give some plug to the people asking the questions. So that was from Seth Mitzell. Uh, thank you so much again, Seth, for the question. David, I, I want to talk about this, though, a little bit off of that question because I think it's an interesting co- conversation. So why I like C.D. Lamb's fit in Dallas so much is because we have Amari Cooper, who's kind of the speed demon, insane route runner. We got Michael Gallup, who's kind of the 
smooth operator can threaten you know can threaten deep a little bit but i'd really consider him that that intermediate route runner that can really attack the middle of the field and then we have cd lamb that is the yak guy he's the guy that wins at the catch point he's that big body wide receiver even though it's 162 he plays a lot bigger than he actually is so when i'm looking at this how important into the wide receiver evaluation when you're specifically for a team does that attribute come into effect as in does how the pieces fit together um, come into the conversation or is it more that you're going to make the pieces fit together and you want the best possible wide receiver, not necessarily if it fits perfect per se. Per se. No, you like you always hear me talk about scheme fit matters. Scheme fit matters. Now, again, you can overinvest in a certain uh, fit which then causes you a, a deficit at other positions. And so and let's just stay with the receivers. If you overinvest in an X receiver, the big body guy, as I like to call him, the big body guys, the Devin Funchuses of the world, um, and you have too many big body guys and then you have some injuries and they don't, you don't have enough guys that can route run or move inside, they don't motion well, now you're going to wind up having problems when injuries start happening along the road. Because not every player is going to play every game in the NFL in a normal year. So you have to really look at scheme fit and what your coach wants. Now, again, you can't like grade a show on turf. Most of their receivers were six foot, you know, six one ish, but they were so fast and quick in and out of their cuts. The speeds were ridiculous. So, but again, ultimately, Bilicek bodied them up. He, he pressed them, told his guys to be physical with them and disrupt the timing. And that's what worked to defeat him. So again, it, you got to understand the scheme of your coaches and the pieces. North Turner, who I've been with in three spots, one of his best receiving cores had guys that at, that could run at every level. So he had guys like Alvin Harper who stretched the field, and then he would have you know the playmaker coming in you know, catching balls all over the day, all over the place, right? Michael Irvin, right. And then you'd have Novacek running routes. You had the, the fullback, uh, Johnson Moose coming out of the backfield and Emmett could even catch. So you had five guys that could catch all over the place. If you break down Peyton's offense, when Peyton was up in, uh, at the Colts, you had Marvin Harris, Reggie Wayne, Pollard, Dallas Clark, and you know, Stokely. yeah, Stokely. Stokely. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Like you find the pieces that fit, you try to fill in the gaps around it with some, some, you know, you might have like the X, the Y, the Z, the wing, the W, all that filled in. And then you find replacements that might be more of a jack of all trade that can fit in when someone gets injured, can play on teams, be your return guy, things of that nature. So as your team building, you, your scheme fit has to matter. And more important, what are they asking that receiver to do? If your offense is a run after catch team, then you have to make sure every receiver you bring in the building has an element to run after the catch and be elusive in the open field. If you're a route running team, then every receiver you bring in the in the, the room has to be an excellent or very good route runner and catch the ball. And even if they get hit and fall down, it's okay because that's what your, your, your quarterback coach or offensive coordinator, your head coach wants is a guy just to get open, get the pass, you know, move the chains, chop wood, go downfield. So that's where scheme matters. And then understanding the position specifics matter when you're scouting and building a team. Man, I'll tell you what, David, this is a great podcast for me because we are mentioning St. Louis and now Los Angeles Rams. Don't get me started on that. But we're talking St. Louis Rams all day. Lovey Smith, obviously, in, in the interview with James. We, we were talking about Leonard Little with him a little bit. And then you throw out the greatest show on turf. That is literally my childhood, man. I remember nine years old. Mike Jones tackling Kevin Dyson at the one-yard line. But then you had to throw in Ty Law in the, in the New England Patriots beating him up in the Super Bowl. Ty, I hated Ty Law for the longest time, so don't appreciate that one, David. But well, I'll take what I can get, I guess, right now. So, Yeah, anytime you want to throw it back, baby, we could talk football all day. I love it. I love talking ball. I'll just, I'll just bring up Jamarcus Russell at some point. And then we'll, uh... Let's not do that. No, let's not ever do that again. Like, let's not do that at all. We'll get serious real quick. <laughs> oh, no. It's good that you're uh, thousands of miles away from me. There's nothing that can actually happen, so that's good. Uh... <laughs> 
Oh, man. All right. Next mailbag question. It's a two-parter. I'm going to break it up into two because I think we could have a really good conversation about either side here. So it's about the 2021 NFL draft, but they're asking about offensively players that you can build off, build around. So obviously when I'm looking at that, I'm like, Trevor Lawrence, is, is there an answer other than Trevor Lawrence? Like if there's a player that I'm trying to build around, right, and if I am picking high in the draft, quarterback, obviously, right? So my question to you, David, is, is Trevor Lawrence the guy for you early on? And then maybe second, if there's not a quarterback in this crop, is there a player or just position in general that sticks out for you that's the most vital for your offensive success? You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've done a lot of work like you have. You've seen so many more guys with what your your job is at the Draft Bible. I've been currently working more with the street-free agents at my ANC I'm trying to get them opportunities and viewing those guys. Um, but I will say this as, as a, as a, you don't build a team around any other position than quarterback. I mean, you just don't, I mean, you need to build that offense around the quarterback. If you don't have one, you're, 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 you're wanting one. And if you do have one, you need to fill the, you know, the roster around them. And if you see, go back and look at, Super Bowl winning teams and do the, you know, do the digestion of those quarterbacks. They had weapons around them. I mean, Brady always had Gronk and Hernandez and uh, Moss and, you know, just Welker. Welker. Yeah, yeah, Welker. Um, I mean, there were players there that he was, it wasn't like he was shopping and cooking a meal from scratch. And he had guys. They might not have been the best, the fastest, whatever, but man, he had guys that helped win uh, championships with him there. So, you know, that's a, uh, that's something you got to look at. I mean, for, you know, if you have a defensive headed coach, you know, you're going to find they'll build more around the defense, but they still want a good quarterback. Everybody wants a good quarterback. So in this year's crop coming out, I think there's a few interesting quarterbacks. I mean, I, again, I'll bow to you on that, but Trevor seems to be leading the, the field um, right now. And you know, the, if you're a betting guy, he's the, he's the top pick for next year. But I mean, Without a true season to evaluate, like I said, James, you know, you, how many times have you seen a guy go away for his junior year in college and come back 10 pounds heavier or maybe lose five pounds of baby fat and get rocked up a little bit and you get to know him a little bit more. You get to see his work ethic and how much football really matters to him because that senior, that junior leap to the senior leap you know, that senior when they know it's their last season in college football, like it's your last time you can lace it up with your, your teammates. It's the last time you can come into that locker room and be with those coaches at a university that brought you from a child to a man. And you know, that matters. And what, what seriousness in you, you take it and you show up in the right shape and that talks to us scouts. That, that speaks to us about the character of these guys. And now they're not, they're robbed of that. They don't get it. And, and that's a shame. You know, public health is, is, a, is a major factor here, people. But understand, my heart's broken that there's no college football. There's no CFL football. There's no, you know, football for me to sit and really enjoy and go to a game and, and do what I love to do. I've done for over, you know, 18 years now. So, you know, I, I know I got off on a little tangent there, but as far as as far as knowing who's the lead dog to build around next year, I can't put my reputation and my name on anybody right now because I got to do a lot more homework before we get to our draft show in April or, or May or June, whenever they wind up holding the NFL draft. Absolutely. We'll definitely have to revisit it. I mean, obviously the one thing that Trevor has over a guy like Justin Fields from Ohio State and Trey Lance from North Dakota State, the other assumed top three quarterbacks, is as of now, crossing fingers, Trevor Lawrence does have a season. ACC football is still scheduled to take place. We'll see if that works out or not. But for now, he's going to have How's that How's that working for the University of North Carolina right now? What's that? So how's it working for the University of North Carolina right now? It's not working too good for Notre Dame either right now, apparently. They just shut down classes. So I'm just hoping for the best. I'm trying to be optimistic here. So, I mean, you better start. Li- hey, if you're not Catholic, you better be coming and start lighting candles really quick. David, I, I, want, a, I, want, yeah, I, I want a lot of I want a lot of things to talk about on a week to week basis on this show. You know, I don't want to just keep regurgitating the same things. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm sorry. I had I'm, to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> 
Pick on the Catholics. I got you. I got you. Hi, I'm Catholic too. I, shoot, I, I'll go down and light some candles if, I, if you think it'll help football come back. Hey, man, whatever you believe in, make it happen, all right? So, <laughs> make it happen. Last part of that question, okay? Now, Spencer Thompson wanted to know defensively who in the class. So, obviously, as David said, um, who, sorry, who defensively in the 2021 class is a potential building block for the next level? Who's the guy that you would pick? So, obviously, it's kind of the same format there, right? David's, David is still doing his homework. He's been, been spending most of his time in the street-free agent side of everything. So, I will say here, and I have a good topic coming up here, David, to kind of end this here, right? So, for me, even though linebacker is seemingly being a depreciated position, I'm going Micah Parsons. If you didn't hear, David just had a little blurb on uh, Sports Illustrated, part of an article on Micah Parsons. So, Make sure to check that out. We have some more announcements coming. Just keep hold tight there. So, Micah Parsons is my guy just because second-level defender. That dude is the quarterback of your defense. He can come up on some underfronts. He can rush the passer. You can be so versatile with him as a weapon. I think that there is an endless opportunity and endless possibilities of what you can do with a guy like Micah Parsons. And while, obviously, the cornerback position is of utmost importance nowadays, defensive ends – Guys that can rush the pass are of utmost importance. I'm taking Michael Parsons. I think he's the best defensive player I've seen in the in the country so far in this summer scouting series. So Michael Parsons is my pick. David, if you have anything to put into that into that uh, light, you can. But my thing is, ready? We talked about on last week's scout school. I told you that there was a decent percentage that would say that you uh, build that you build right. The defensive back, the ability to cover, is more important than rushing the quarterback, more important than building your front. So 35%, and I am on the same side as you, so let's put that out there. I think building through the trenches to start with, right, and the ability to rush the quarterback to, to disrupt the passing game near or, or, or near or behind the line of scrimmage is more important than covering. Okay, that's my opinion. We've put that out there. But I told you, didn't I, that 35%, a decent percentage, would go against that idea. Okay, let's start with the Michael Parsons uh, comment. I thought when I watched Michael Parsons to do that SI hit uh, yesterday, you're looking at a guy whose athleticism is like Thomas Davis, uh, Shaq Thompson. You're looking at a guy whose in- instincts and intelligence are like Luke Kinkley. You know, you got a guy whose measurables are Pat Willis and and um, Ray Lewis. So when you're talking about comparisons, like James and I were talking earlier in the show, and you heard, and everybody was listening, that you know certain coaches are measurable guys. Well, right now, when you look at Michael Parsons, you turn on the tape, you're going to see a measurable guy that's measured the same as Ray Lewis and Pat Willis, two of the top defender middle linebackers we've seen in the last 12, 20 years, okay? Then you go and you watch him and how his first step is instinctive. He finds the ball. He's not a read and react guy. He's a downhill player. He's going and attacking the line of scrimmage at good angles. He's slicing behind blocks. He's working over top. When he engages with blocks, his hands are violent. He's disrupting and shedding with a purpose. It's really impressive to watch this young man work. And then, like you said, you pointed out, Michael Parsons can cover backs out of the backfield. Are you kidding me? He can do all this, and he can cover backs out of the backfield man-to-man. So you're looking at a three-down starting linebacker that is special. So with Michael Parsons, you know, we talk about the offense and building it around the offense. This would give any defense a Mike linebacker for, you know, the next two contracts at least. So at least seven, eight years. Um, so if you if you chose him early and you built a defense around him, you would be a very uh, happy team going forward. Now, for all the silly individuals who think that covering is more important than harassing and getting a quarterback off his spot and making him throw at arm angles that aren't natural and, and moving it around to have to go sidearm, having to go flick of a wrist, having a tip ball, having a guy come from backside, they can't see him and, and just slice down on a shoulder and now make him skittish and have his eyes drop. You are fooling yourself because you can only cover so long before a receiver's going to get open. 
And if the quarterbacks, you ever heard of the prevent defense? It helps you prevent from winning because it gives the quarterback too much time to sit back there and receivers to slice open the, the lanes and then throw the ball through those lanes. So why you need to continue to understand, obviously, that 35%, it's about the pass rush. You have to have the horses to go get the quarterback, even if it's not sacking the quarterback. It's forcing them off their spot, forcing them to move their feet in the pocket, forcing them to throw at different levels with their arms. It's going to cause tip balls. It's going to cause the ball not to come in at the perfect angle to give the defensive back the ability to make a play on the ball, whether that's a pass deflection, whether it's an interception, tip ball, whatever you want to call them. It's going to give them a better opportunity if the if the quarterback's feet aren't firm. If there's traffic, or as I call it, trash around his feet, and he can't step into a throw, and he's got to you know step lightly and throw at a, a different arm angle. Not all, I mean, yes, quarterbacks in the NFL have very good arm talent, but not all at 32, and not all 32 can do that all the time. Not all 32 are Aaron Rodgers that can throw falling down left six, 60 yards downfield. It just doesn't happen. So if you don't understand that pass rush is the key to sustain success, sustain success in the NFL when you want a defense to dominate, you need to go back and do your homework. I love it, David. I I love it, man. That's the perfect point, I think, to end this podcast. But before we do, we need to have our end remark here. So something that stuck with you, I'm going to start it off, and I'm going to start actually with a scouting tip I don't even know if it's so much a tip as I don't think that everybody does it this way, but this is just something that's worked for me that I think is, is potentially valuable. So a lot of people go back and they look at stats. They go back and they look at the, the context of the player, the backgrounds, all different types of things, right? Where they're from, what they did in high school, all those types of things. I actually like to save that stuff until after I watch the three to four games. I like to go as a cold watch get a personal opinion, and then those little things, right? Like I keep posting on, on Twitter constantly, the the track and field backgrounds, some backgrounds with family, do those. Stuff. I love that stuff so much, digging deep and finding those little nuggets about players. But I will say sometimes, and I feel like this just from a, a Twitter on a daily basis, I feel like reading something about a player, an article, a mock draft, you know, doing your homework sometimes on the, the box score types of stuff, can, can really dictate how you feel about a player before you watch him. So I know that there's different things that work for everybody. For me, I like to do a cold watch first, and then I like to dig into the background stuff to, you know, get those nuggets and get on a personal level with the player. And then, you know, that box score, right? Like if I watch a player and I'm like, that dude is excellent. He's an excellent football player. I watched three or four games. The box score should match. We always talk about verifying measurables, verifying game speed, those types of things. So just a little scouting tip. Give it a shot. If it works for you, awesome. If it doesn't, hey, there's other ways to do it. But for me, I like that cold watch first, and then I like to dig deep into the uh, background of everybody. David Turner, your final thoughts on our second edition of Mav Sports Take. Let me hear it, my friend. Uh, I just want to thank James Kirkland for coming on, spending some time with us tonight. Obviously, he uh, he knows his stuff. I respect the heck out of him. And you know, for him to shed some light on, like I said, the young men that are playing college football and making the decisions they're having to make, and then the families that are trying to help their senior kids in high school make certain decisions. And um, you know, it's it's really an interesting time. So thank I want to thank him for shedding light on all that. As far as a little nugget for me, I'm I'm fired up for uh, Friday Night Scout School this week. We're talking coverages. We're going to start breaking down how to d- determine a good linebacker and uh, DBs coming up in the next few weeks. So what we have coming downhill in Friday Night Scout School is really exciting for me. I hope people from the podcast here join in. They take advantage of everything we offer at Mavericks Sports Consulting. You know, they, they, they start participating in our mailbag, understanding that we're here for them to really maximize everything they need to know about whether it's high school kids moving into college, college kids coming into the pros, street free agents trying to find opportunity. Maybe you're an NFL guy just trying to figure out where you fit in this world and these schemes and stuff. Whatever it is, you know, we're, we're here to help and support you. That's what the whole company is built around is maximizing other people's 
opportunities that they have in front of them. So, you know, I hope people understand that was the heart and soul that brought us into a corporation, which brought us into a podcast, which brought us into teaching school and all this other things that we're doing now, which I never thought 18 months ago I would be doing. So <laughs> it's, it's absolutely you know. incredible. All the things that we're doing, all the things we've accomplished in a very short amount of time. So again, as David said, MaverickSportsConsulting.com, NFLDraftBible.com. Make sure to check out Friday Night Scout School this week, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Big thank you to James Kirkland. It was an awesome interview. And thank you to everybody that was watching us live here tonight. Everybody that's going to listen, that is listening to this podcast whenever and wherever you are. Uh, we appreciate you all so much. So be sure, again, make sure you check out, like, share, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. We're at, at, at Rise and Draft and at Mav underscore sports. Send us a line. If you love the, if you love the product we're putting out, if you love the podcast, Send it out there. Get it get it going a little bit for us. Uh, we appreciate you all so much. We'll see you guys again next week, Tuesday, 9 o'clock Eastern Time Live. We'll be re- releasing, as always, on Wednesday. Thank you all so much. <laughs>